Am I on? Is this yes. thing on? Yes, you Okay, are. good. You, you know, thank you so much. Oh, my gosh, I love this man. Um, so I told him I never, I don't really use microphones very often. Mostly I just yell. So if it gets loud. I'm going to dismiss a bunch of children. There's going to be a small stampede. Run, children. Children, run. you are dismissed. You are free. Wait, Josh and Joey, you have to stay. You've never heard oh. me too. Man, they're like, Mom, I've heard this before. You know, that is exactly what they said. I'm like, you know, guys, are you going to stay and listen? And they said, no, we've heard it. Been there, done that. We live it. Yeah, that's about right. Um, I, first of all, I want to say, I don't, I don't know if you feel this, but um, while we were worshiping, I'm going to say that if... There are times when you feel the Holy Spirit so strongly that it overwhelms you and you just want to cry. And this is, for me, being able to be home and to be with my family. I mean, some of you I've known, oh, where's Todd? All right, I've known Todd since he was in high school and look at him, grown man with grown children. And, and I look around and I see these, these beautiful friends that I'm so thankful for. Thank you, Greg, for being here. Um, people who love me deeply and who pray for me and who worry about me and who fight for me. And today, um, like Jack said, we, I, I want to talk to you about spiritual warfare. And I kind of, I got to say, I was thinking of this this morning, I really don't like that term. Because to me, that gives this idea that it's out there. Because as an American, when I think of war, war is distant. And so when I think of any kind of war, whether it's you know, a physical war in the Ukraine or it's spiritual war, to me, it feels like it's, it's, not, it's not real because it's not here. And, um, and that's a lie. Because... The, the bottom line is that you have an enemy, and his desire is to absolutely destroy you. Can you bring up that First Peter verse for me? And this is, this is going to be, this is our theme today. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. I've got to find my notes. Without my notes, I'm nothing. Um, and that's the truth right there. You, um, whether you want to believe it or not, you are under attack. And I thought of a story. Hi, I'm so glad you guys are here. I know you feel weird. It's okay, I'm like waving to people I just haven't seen in a long time. Um, So, when I was in college, back in the 80s, it was, um, there was a a couple of books that came out. I don't know if you remember them, those of you who are closer to my age. It was the Frank Peretti books, This Present Darkness. Okay, and they were really, oh my goodness, they were so intense. And it was all about spiritual warfare, and it was very descriptive, and, 
And I, re- I can remember waking up in the middle of the night and casting out demons. I mean, I would be sound asleep, and I would find myself sitting up in bed saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, the power of his blood, I cast you out, leave Satan, leave. And I just thought, and I had grown up in a church that was very conservative. They didn't really uh, believe that the Holy Spirit did much. You know, he, he gave gifts, but nothing crazy like, you know, healing or you know, visions or anything like that, you know, but you could be encouraging and you could teach, but, you know, we got to keep it simmered down. And so we didn't talk about these kind of things. We didn't talk about how Satan really wants to destroy you. And it's been his goal since the beginning is to destroy humanity because God loves you. He created you in his image and he hates that. He hates it. He's jealous. And because he's jealous of God's love for you, and he's filled with pride, his desire is to destroy you. And, and, he's, and like this verse says, it's, he's like a lion. Oh, it's gone. Can you leave it up? Yeah, can you leave it up? Thanks. Um, he's like a lion. He's prowling. He's on the hunt. It's not like he's being passive. He's looking actively for ways to destroy you. That is his goal. And, um, and we don't, don't want to believe this because it's kind of scary. And it puts you on edge. And you don't want to be that person who like, sees a demon around every corner. You know, We all know people who have been like that. We're like, oh, there's Satan. It's... And, and so we're really wary, and, and we should be, because we need to know the truth about what's, what the Bible says. And so to, see, to think that he's an active part of our lives is disturbing. And so I remember being in college and reading these books, and I thought, here's, here's the deal I made. Like, you can make a deal with the devil. This is it. I literally sat down on my bed, and I'm going to Bible college, mind you, and said... Satan, if you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. <laughs> yeah, I like the laugh right there. And, and it's a joke. It's a joke. You know, it's like telling Hitler, you know what, I'm, I'm a Jew, but if you leave me alone, Hitler, I'll leave you alone. Yeah, ha ha, no, he's out to destroy you. And so I, um, I kind of went along in life, and, uh, and then God did something really strange, you know. And I'm still on this, you know, you stay on your side, I'll stay on my side kind of a thing for many years. And then I would say about 30 years ago, I had a dream. And remember, we don't have dreams in my church. We don't have, we don't see things. And what it was, there are times in your life when God shows you things. And you know it's not normal. You know this isn't just a normal dream. This isn't just happenstance. And, it, and trust me, it doesn't happen to me very often. It's only happened to me a few, a, not even a handful of times in my life. But he gave me this dream. And in the dream, I was going down this street of like a small town. And... 
And as I was going down the street, there was, there was fire everywhere. And there, was, and there was a war. And there were bombs dropping. And buildings were on fire. And I'm walking down the middle of the street, and I'm looking, and it's, and it's filled with what I, I, in my mind, I, I realized were demons. And so it was a spiritual fight. And as I walked down the church, I realized, walked down the street, I realized I was walking down the street with the church. And so we're all going down the street, and we're walking along, and we're completely blind. Everyone was completely blind to the fire, to the warfare around them. And as they got to the end of the street, they fell into an abyss. And that was the first time that God had shown me how I personally and many people in the church are going through the world. We walk through the world in the middle of a battle. We're being attacked. We're being destroyed. We're being decimated. We're being crippled and wounded. And we don't even know it. We don't even know it. And we're, and, and we're not prepared. So, I was thinking the other day, okay, so how, how is it that Satan does this in our lives? And I think you're going to recognize a lot of the ways because you're going to, they're familiar, terrible tactics. One is he will rob you of your hope. You know, I spent most of my life praying to die. He will rob you of your hope. He will tell you, he will convince you that you are worthless. How many times in your life have you heard this inner voice saying, ah, why, are you, why do you exist? Why are you here? Why, why, why? He will feed your anger. He will feed your anger. Have you ever found yourself wounded by someone? and unable to forgive them. That's from the enemy. He feeds it. He feeds it. He will hold you back from being forgiven and from forgiving others. When I was a young Christian, I had a really difficult time forgiving myself for what I had done, for the sins that I struggled with, because it's not as though when you become a Christian you stop sinning, but you still keep piling on the guilt and, and this feeling that, you know, if anybody really knew, you know, if I, I, God can't really forgive me. I've got to, I have to do something to prove myself to God. He will destroy your relationships. You will look and find fault in everyone. And he'll use that to tear you apart, especially within the church. He will do everything he can to destroy the church, the bride of Christ. He will tear you away from God. You'll have doubts. You'll have fears. Do you know Mother Teresa, until the day she died, had doubts about God? We all do. But what do you feed? Do you feed the doubt? Do you feed the faith? Do you feed the hope? 
He will convince you that God doesn't care and that your faith is a lie. He'll play on your pride. He'll play on your fear. He is your mortal enemy, and his goal is your destruction. And the hard thing, at least for me, is is that it's, you know, I'll say I, I get these glimpses every 30 years. (laughs) Not very often. But if you look at prophets, they never had visions every day of their life either. Um, but, But we get caught up in the flesh and blood of life. You know, the Bible talks about the worries of the world. We get, um, I get caught up in what I'm, I'm going to do next. And, and I have, I don't know about you guys, but I always have this list that is never going to get done. And, and I can get so frustrated because I'm like, I have this goal. I have, I've, I've got to do this. I was talking to Tony the other night about water wells. And, and even in the midst of thinking, oh my goodness, this is so great. And every... And, and we need water in Africa. Our, our communities suffer so much. And how are we going to do this? How are we going to... And I start worrying about, I, I, need to do, I need to do more. I need to do more. We need to train more. We need to have more pastors. We haven't even hit the northern part of Mozambique. And we've got we've to start going up there. And my goals often are not God's goals. But I, I feed them, you know, because they're mine and I want them. Um, and so these are the ways that Satan works in your lives. It can, be, it can seem like it's something good and he can twist it. Have you ever noticed that Satan can take, I think of Eve and how he, he took truth and he just tweaked it enough to deceive her so that she would choose wrongly and Adam would follow her I wonder what was lost I was was talking about this the other day with with Teresa and how I I wonder maybe it was you I wonder what was lost in the garden I wonder when when they died when they were cast from the garden and they were sinful did they lose their ability to see spiritually? And what is the, the effect of that? Is that ability that they had in the beginning to walk and to talk with God? And what a loss. How deeply would you mourn what you had known that was so beautiful and pure and perfect and to realize that in one choice... The choice you made, you destroyed it for yourselves and everyone else. I can't imagine the grief. Um, and, and I'm going to tell you um, that we, we get caught up in these earthly battles. You know, Some battles are, like in Mozambique, the, some battles are, um, what are you going to have for dinner? Are you going to have dinner? And so as the sun sets every night, um, John, and, John and Maria will say people become agitated because they're running here and there seeing if they can find food for the night. So that's a real fear. It's a real worry. 
you know, some of us are worrying about our work. And there's a lot of stress with work. And so we can become uh, consumed and uh, with this worry. How are we going to do this? How can I um, please my boss, please the people that I'm working with? How can I make this all come together? And, and so we easily push aside things and, and focus in on that. You know, what are we pushing aside, you know? Uh, we're pushing aside family, pushing aside God, or we're pushing aside other opportunities even sometimes because we're, we're focused, and we're focused on things that God doesn't necessarily want us to be focused on. But it's part of the battle. It's part of the battle. I, I find one of the things I battle can be my own ambition. Not terrible. You know, and I think, well, and, and here's the thing, you know, I'm a missionary, right? So you think, well, you're not going to, oh, trust me, there's ambition. There's ambition. You know, uh, what, when I look at, you know, where we are, maybe, maybe what I want to see happen in Mozambique isn't anything that God wants to see. You know, I jokingly said I, I, I'm uh, seeking world domination in the name of Christ, and, and it's a worthy goal, but you know what? I know that that's, that's my ego, too. You know, I can be so ambitious for all the wrong things. And I have to constantly remind myself to just wait on God. And, oh, waiting is the worst. Ah, uh, I'm, I'm not patient. I do not like to wait. And so if you can bring up Ephesians 6... This is our real battle, right here. We think the battle is with other people many times. I can get angry with my family. My sister and I, God bless her, I love her, but we did not part after COVID on good terms, leaving with broken hearts. And I'm going back now to to face that and to try to heal that. And, And the enemy, he wants my heart to stay hard. He wants me to hold a grudge. He wants me to go back and say, you know what, it's your fault that this didn't come together well. And this is the truth. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is our enemy. They're organized. You know, you look at the world around you, <laughs> and you can see it. You can see how, how our country has changed, and we begin to embrace things that we, we know are wrong, and yet we think, well, maybe, maybe it's not that wrong. And, and we have to fight, because the enemy is organized. The enemy is organized. And our response many times is that when we hear these, okay, I'll say this is my response, okay, when I've heard things like this. I roll my eyes, and I, I just, I walk away, and I'm like, okay, that's not, that's not reality. Uh, and I'm just going to keep going down this track, and I feel like God's, God's there, and even if it's sinful, I mean, I could go back to Oregon and I could have a hard heart 
and make it look like my relationship is fine with my sister, because we can all do that. And yet I know my heart's still hard. So I am protecting my sin. I'm protecting my sin. We want, and this is what I see a lot, we want to believe in God's goodness and his mercy. And then we blame him when things go wrong. We don't blame our true enemy. You know, we want to believe in good, but we don't want to believe in evil. We want to believe in God, but we don't want to believe in Satan. And we don't really have that choice. I can say that in Mozambique, um, the, the worship of Satan and uh, working with demons is alive and well. They understand, uh, they understand the power behind evil. They, um, if, if someone insults you, they will go to the witch doctor and they'll find a way to put a curse on this person who has insulted them. If my child gets sick, it's my neighbor's fault. And I'll go to the witch doctor and I'll find a way to get even. And the witch doctors, they're evil. They use children. They use the bones of their enemy. They're, they're pure evil. And yet they will turn to them. And if you think that doesn't happen here in the States, you're kidding. I've talked to Satanists. They truly believe that Satan needs them for their worship and they help give him power in exchange. They get power and they get what he wants. Right here in California. You know, you can get your palm read down. You drive down PCH and that palm reader down on PCH has been there forever, I'm sure, is still there. You know, it's just another way of finding a medium. When I lived in Russia, I met a teacher in Russia who was a palm reader. And she, you know, we were in there, we were just talking, and she grabbed my hand and she started reading my palm. And she told me things that no one would know. There's no way anyone would know. And I asked her, I said, how... How did you learn how to do this? And she said, I never learned. I just knew. And she said, most times when I do this with a Christian, they get all scared and freaked out. And I told her, I said, you know, I, I, the reason why is because um, you know, there's only two sources of this kind of information. It either comes from God or it comes from Satan. And this doesn't come from God. So I know where it comes from. And, of course, you know, we laughed and we prayed and, um, and God washed out over me and it was okay. But it was that understanding that someone would be given information that there's no way they could have. That was a real eye-opener for me. And, and so now I look at it and I think, okay, so I'm, I'm in a battle you know, God has shown me that we're all in this battle. And Satan wants to destroy us because he hates us. And he wants total power and control. So what do we do? And the first thing I'm going to say is, is, one, you need to know your Bible. 
You need to know your Bible. You need to know how Jesus fought the enemy. How did he fight temptation? He used scripture. He used the scripture against the enemy. You know? He, uh, and, and it wasn't just that he was in, you know, the wilderness for 40 days and had three temptations. I think it was, it was constant. It was a constant bombardment with temptation. And he used scripture. Don't go into battle empty-handed. Know your Bible. It's the only offensive piece of the armor of God that we've been given. is the Bible. It's the sword. And that's what you are to use. Don't go alone. No one would go into an armed battle alone without a weapon and think, I'm, I can make it. I can make it. But we do it all the time. You know, when you're facing, when you're facing temptation, when you're facing a hard time, when you have a decision to make, when you are doubting, when you see the worst of you coming out, do you turn to other people for prayer? You know, Doug was, was talking earlier about how we have a prayer team. Use them. Use them. They're there for you, for your protection, for your assistance, for your guidance. Use them. Don't, don't imagine that you can do this on your own because you can't. Be a part of this church. Come. I know. Post-COVID, I've heard all these reports about how after COVID, the church just isn't recovering. And I mean, like, the church throughout the world isn't recovering. People aren't returning to church. And I know there's a lot of reasons why. But this is, this is supposed to be the place where you come when you're wounded. The place where you come where people will look out for you and protect you and pray for you and love you and search for you when you have gone missing. And it's what we're supposed to do for one another. And I'll tell you, there have been times I'm so grateful that I have been a part of this church and have been a part of being able to plant this church 20 years ago. But as time goes on, people leave. And I have literally called people and said, please reconsider. Please. If you know someone that is, is walking away, go after them. They need to know, even if they don't return, they need to know that you loved them enough to go after them. So pray for one another. Um, there, are, there are a lot of people who have been here and, and have prayed for me, and I, I can't even tell you how grateful I am for your prayers I'm going to tell you another thing you need to do, and it's a scripture that, you know, as I thought of it, I thought, you know, it's not really one that you, you bring into a conversation on, 
on the spiritual battle on how Satan wants to destroy you. But it's one of my favorite verses, and I think it really applies. And it's Hebrews 12. Can you bring up Hebrews 12? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We fix our eyes on Jesus. It's easy It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to look at the life that we see here and now. And we, you know, it's, it's when they train runners. I remember talking to my kids about it because Josh and Joe love to run. And, and I'd watch the kids at their school, and they'd all be running, and they're looking back to see how close their next competitor is. And I told them, I said, you don't ever look back. Well, I, I wanted to see No, when you're in a race, you don't look back because it slows you down. You lose your focus. And this life we lead, Paul often compared it to a race or uh, to a wrestling match and saying, I buffet my body, you know, I run the race. And here we fix our eyes on Jesus. You focus on the end goal. Don't take your eyes. Don't turn to the left or to the right. We fix our eyes on the prize. Jesus is the prize. If you can do that, even when you're being bombarded, you're going to be okay. It may feel terrible, but you have your eyes in the right place. And be a people of prayer. Pray without ceasing. Get other people to pray. So I'm going to tell you about the last dream I had. Now I'm going to tell you it's 30 years in between dreams. And I'm going to tell you um, it was exhausting. I woke up in the morning and I just, I just was exhausted. And then I had dreams the next night and I was exhausted from that. And there's something about it that is just... Um, just requires a lot spiritually, at least for me. And, um, shoot, I forgot it. Let me get it. I need my phone. Because what I did is I wrote down on my phone what I saw. Because I didn't want to forget it. And it was, um, I was, I was in a battle. Let's see if I can find it here. Here we go. And I said, I, I fought all night long. It was, it was a, uh, there was, I mean, literally I could look someone in the eyes and there's a demon and then quickly it would switch and move to someone else. And, and I can remember crying out to Jesus and then, and, 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 and I'd be safe. And I looked around me and this is what I saw. I saw that their desire was to destroy me 
But I was able to turn and to grab people and draw them to safety, even in the middle of it. I was under stress, but I was not terrified. I wasn't afraid. Because I knew that Jesus was my source of victory. I was exhausted by the battle, but received assistance to safety. It was a battle that I went in with my eyes wide open. I knew that I was going to go through this. And even though when I finished, I was exhausted, I had that feeling of well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, Many people were affected in the battle. And while the battle was fierce, we were not outnumbered. And, and the people that were in the battle were other Christians. And I could look around, and I would see people being brought into salvation in the middle of this battle. I could look and see uh, worship, people worshiping and singing songs of praise in the middle of the battle. And um, there was new life that came out of the middle of all of this. It wasn't as though it was overwhelming because God kept bringing uh, new people in. And, and so that as I would leave, there, was, there were new people who would come in and bring in new life. And at the end of the battle, I left crawling out of my belly. I was tired, but I was not defeated And there was someone with me, helping me, concerned for me every step of the way. They were cheering. They were cheering me on. And it was a woman in white. She had white hair. And she represented the prayers of my friends and of the church. And I think of Revelation and how it describes people in the throne room and people praising God and how the prayers of the saints rise up like incense. And I will say that it is your prayers. They are your prayers that have seen me through battles. Anne and Simon, it's your prayers. Greg. This is why I wanted you here. You and Helen have spent years praying for us. And God has used you, Samantha Mori. He has used you to protect me, to protect our pastors, our leaders, my children. You have all been a part of this, Clyde and Teresa. Will, Tony, I see you all out there, and I'm so, Sandy, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that you pray for us because you, your prayers are the prayers that have seen me through, that have seen our family through. You, whether you knew it or not, were in that battle, and I praise God for you. I praise God for each one of you. And so I encourage you to keep praying. Pray for one another. You don't know what people are going through. You don't. 
we come to church and we put on our happy church faces. I used to call it the happy, clappy church singing mode, you know, when, when I was grieving my son. And I'm like, ah, I can't do it. I can't do the happy, clappy worship. Um, we need to take down the mask and we need to be honest and real with another. We need to say, seek places of healing, of encouragement. We need to pray for one another, lift each other up as we go into battle. Because you have done it for me, and it has made all the difference in the world. And I thank you from the depths of my heart, Doug Lee and Angelina and Tim. I know I keep looking around the room and seeing more people. Hi, Karen. And you. So let me go ahead, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and I'm going to close this, and I'm going to encourage you. Pray for one another. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Know the word. And face your enemy boldly.